0: Welcome everybody to episode 24 of Generation Jihad. I can't believe it's 24 episodes already, huh, Bill?
1: Crazy. Two
0: dozen now. The, the dirty two dozen, I guess you would say. Um, we're recording this in late August, folks, and we're working on new episodes for the fall, new uh, thematic episodes on different topics you may be interested in. Um, This episode today is going to be more of a sort of a news roundup as we approach the November election, presidential election here in the United States, and sort of how the U.S. is sort of moving the pieces around the board and and changing its military posture and and what's going on in the jihadi scene. Um, But before we run into these topics, we're going to cover a little bit on Iraq, we're going to cover a little bit on Afghanistan, we're going to hit Somalia, talk about how things have been evolving across those three different uh, jihadi theaters. But before we do that, I guess uh, I will reiterate our plea for you guys to get on Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star uh, review or rating. The more of you that do that, the better. Um, I've been informed. Again, I if, if people that know me, including Bill, know that I am completely incompetent when it comes to computers and technology. I've am a. I've got a phobia, really, of computers, so I know nothing about this. But apparently, I've been informed by Phil Hegseth, who works uh, on these podcasts for us, that. Um, there's an algorithm of some sort that goes in and drives people to your show when you get five-star uh, ratings, so I hope you do that. Um, that We greatly appreciate that, right, Bill? Do you know anything about this? I don't know anything about
1: uh, this. Yeah, no. and listen, the better the reviews, the better we're going to rise in the standings. Just support us, folks. Give us five stars. Give us a nice review.
0: Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I just don't know really how this all specifically
1: works. I don't really either, Tom. I just kind of made it up. What is so. so, internet anyway? What do you mean? That's big. how does one? What do you write to it? Like mail? <laughs> yeah, well, that sounds
0: good. Um, so you know, as, as we're heading into November here, so we're recording this on August 31st. Uh, we're in the waning days of summer, and we're we're heading into the fall here. And as as we head into November, one of the, the big themes you're going to see, and we've talked about this on previous episodes of the podcast, is sort of this idea of, of the endless wars, the forever wars. Both President Trump and President and Vice President Biden former Vice President Biden, are pl- have pledged to basically end the endless wars. We've talked about the, sort of the problems with that in the past. I think if you're sort of a blame America first isolationist, that sort of rhetoric appeals to you, but you don't have to be just an ideologue. I mean, I think it appeals a lot of Americans not wanting to have to send um, Americans abroad to fight in all these different theaters, all these places that people don't understand. But we try and provide a little context to understand what the jihadis are doing in these places, and and specifically anti-American jihadis. And so it's a little bit of a different take than sort of what you may get from other quarters. Uh, again, you know, I I think Bill, I you know, I listen, I don't. I, disagree with the idea that America doesn't want to be in these places indefinitely. I get, I get that, right? I mean, we don't have any problem with that. I think I have a problem with the idea that it's America's presence in these places that's keeping these wars going, which I don't think is true at all.
1: Yeah, that, that's really the issue. I mean, none of Tom and I, neither of us wants our country to be at war, but these are actions we must take for against an enemy that is Committed to fighting us and committed to destroying our way of life. It's it's just that well, some simple. would say some would say we don't um, no, we, we don't can... even have
0: to. It's not an effort. We have to take. I mean, we've seen yeah. I've seen some of these well, people. You know, they did, basically their argument is we don't really need to fight ISIS or Al Qaeda. Okay, you can make that argument. Uh, you know, I yeah. I disagree with that. I think you know we, we do have to take some actions. Um, you know, the other thing I saw, Bill, I saw before we sorry I cut you off, but let me let me ask you a question about this. That's okay. Before we get into the meat of this, there's a word that bothers me. I see I see bantied about sometimes. You see, sort of these hacks say, well, you know, jihadism is an existential threat to the U.S., so therefore we can't treat it as an existential threat. Well, I'd say two things about that. One, uh, what the heck do you mean by existential threat? I mean, I don't I don't even know what that means. It's not even defined. Really. Um uh and, and as a corollary to number one, you can be you can have awfully nasty things that can threaten Americans and American American way of life without being existential, right? It doesn't have to end America's way of being in order to be particularly nasty. Nine eleven was particularly nasty. There have been other things that are particularly nasty throughout time. Um that do not have to necessarily be existential. But the second thing is America isn't treating this as an existential threat anyway, right? I mean we documented multiple times okay. America has pivoted away from these large-scale conflicts against the jihadis. As as we're recording this, our best estimate, Bill, is what? It's less than 30,000 American troops are deployed in jihadi theaters, whether they be Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, or across Africa. Um, that's not treating this as an existential threat. I don't think anybody is, right, Bill?
1: No, you're absolutely correct. We're not treating it as such. You and I don't believe it's you know, an existential threat in the sense of well they could push a button and launch a nuclear war or anything like that but as you said 911 was quite nasty it 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 cost this country in numerous ways and and um we need to we need to prevent threats such as that and just because we or some individuals think that oh the jihadist dream of establishing a global caliphate is fanciful it doesn't mean that it's something that we shouldn't fight it's you know these I, I really, I'm with you, Tom. I hate this when the it's it's basically this all or it's nothing. It's a straw man. Yeah, it's a straw man. It's a exists. straw man. It's, it's yeah. convenient
0: to say. Well, I mean, because by that by that token, you know, what is an existential threat? Most of the problems on the globe probably don't. You could define existential yeah. in such a way that basically so many things aren't existential, yeah. right? Yeah. That aren't an existential threat.
1: Yeah, right. But, I mean, if if New York, if the North Korea builds a missile that can only New Hawaii, is that an existential threat to the United States? To the state of Hawaii, it is, right. but. You know we could do that. We could play this game all day. The reality is, is we need to re- remain engaged in certain areas. We need to fight our enemies in certain areas, or we could we can uh, concede these areas to them. And if we do that, it causes problems. Look, we we ignored Al Qaeda during the nineteen nineties. Basically, we thought that launching some cruise missiles into empty tents and killing some camels would uh would would take care of the problem while trusting the Taliban to keep a lid on them. It didn't. And you get actually the U.S. And, government you know, didn't even
0: you, trust the Taliban back then. It's only now, it's only now yeah. that the State yeah. Department's pretending that we can trust the Taliban. The U.S. Didn't, <laughs> the Clinton administration didn't trust the Taliban. You can go to the 9 yeah. Commission report and get all the
1: get yeah, all no, the we, and I,
0: Bush administration certainly didn't. Either one of them did. So either you know, it's only it's only now yeah. that we're playing this game, which we're going to get into. This is our favorite sort of uh pinatas to hit this one. We're going to hit this one again in this episode. Uh, because it's just it's the ongoing absurdity of all that. But yeah, no, I mean, the point is, is that you know, the U.S. is going to have to have some sort of counterterrorism presence. Uh, you know, I think only when I mentioned the Blame America first ideologues, um, you know, I think you can have a lot of misgivings about all this, a lot of criticisms about all this without falling into that camp. Sure. You know, absolutely. There's plenty to debate. But the ideologues in particular are drawn to this language because they think that you can just basically all American forces can melt away, and we don't have to worry about it. it all just sort of cancel out. And yeah. there's just so many reasons why that's false. I mean, the counterfactual world in which America did that, let's say America did that a decade ago, and and President Obama had completed his full withdrawal and maintained it. What do you think the world would look like today? You know, ISIS would have a caliphate. Nobody stood in ISIS's caliphate, the caliphate's way. Um, Al-Qaeda would have more gains in different places. You know, who knows how many plots that were thwarted overseas would have come through. That's sort of a difficult, thorny subject, but certainly some of them would have. You know, so I mean, you know, this idea that the U.S. can just sort of put its head back in the sand and pretend like this is all going to go away is foolish. Now, on the other hand, neither one of us is arguing for some sort of major coin style effort here, right? Bill, those days are absolutely not. Those days days are are gone. Yeah, Yeah, those those days are over. So let's talk a little bit about how the U.S. as as we approach November is is sort of changing its force posture, or is 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 uh, sort of. reconfiguring things. One of the big announcements in recent weeks was this um, continued drawdown in Iraq. Um, Bill, why don't you take that one? Why don't you walk uh, viewers through that a little bit? What's going on in Iraq and and where the administration is on this? And uh, I'll inject one thing after you you go through all that. I'll I'll talk a little bit about why I think the President Trump's uh, sort of language on Iraq is a little disingenuous. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, looking forward to that. I know exactly what you're going to say. But uh, yeah, so la- last week, the U.S. evacuated um, its troops from a base it's, uh, in a town called Taji. It's just north. north Have you been of there, Baghdad. Bill, when
0: you were embedded in Iraq?
1: I ha- Taji is one place I've not been um, in Iraq. I just didn't get an opportunity. I was When I was in Bagh- the Baghdad areas in central, southern and eastern and western Baghdad, but northern didn't make it that area. Probably flew over it, but, um, yeah, it's a major, major hub. The, um, the, back in, geez, uh, 2014, when the Islamic State was marching, literally marching on Baghdad, Taji was where the line in the sand was drawn with Iraqi security forces, um, who were reeling. And so it's a key area. It's a key sort of a maintenance depot and training center all rolled up in one. So the U.S. had about, I want to say about 1,500 troops, 2,000 troops there. They pulled them out. Um, it's unclear where they went, if they've been with, fully withdrawn or if they've been moved to other bases within Iraq. So right now, the U.S. has about uh, 5,200 troops. Um, pres- the the Trump administration recently announced it's withdrawing about one third of those troops or about 1,500 troops. Um, but the the, the, the administration, as you mentioned, Tom, and I'll leave it to you, the administration's message is muddled. Um, they they want to end the endless wars, but they're not going to commit to a full withdrawal in Iraq. Um, you know, look, it's like... They, Either you're in this or you're out. There's no half pregnant on this issue. I mean, that's how, like, you're hearing Trump say, let's get out, let's end these endless wars, but we won't do a full full withdrawal. Um, you know, look, in my opinion, either we're in, in Iraq and we're going to help the Iraqi government and we're going to do some things to block Iranian expansion. Oh, and by the way, if the U.S. fully withdrew... From Iraq, there likely or the Islamic State would have likely have a caliphate in areas in Iraq, and the Iranians probably would own the other half of the country, and that's a that's a bad idea. Uh, that was certainly um uh you know not in American interests or or in the interests of its allies. Um, look you know, at the Islamic State's is far from defeated in Iraq, and Iranian influence in Iraq grows daily. Without American presence, there is zero that could be done to stop either problem.
0: Yeah. And this is, but this goes to the part of the problem at the end of war's rhetoric, right? Is that the jihadis are organized as insurgents. Neither ISIS nor al-Qaeda is close to defeat. I don't think we're going to defeat them anytime soon, nor should we try and put the resources into defeating them at this point. Uh, I think that, that those days are, are gone. Um, but the point is on Iraq, can you maintain a smaller footprint to help the Iraqi government and sort of advance American interests? And as you mentioned, there's just over 5,000 American soldiers in in, in Iraq. There's probably I mean, it's, Contractors, as other support personnel of some sort, of course, but this isn't you know the the massive surge level effort that we saw at the height of the Iraq War. It's yeah. something much smaller than that. Um, and you know, I, I noticed before I move on, I saw the U.S. led coalition announced the transfer of three hundred and forty seven million dollars in property and equipment to the Iraqi security forces at Camp Taji. Uh, three hundred and forty seven million dollars. I mean, it just you know, that's sort of a probably a rounding error on the Iraq war overall, which has cost us a lot of American taxpayers, a lot of money, a lot of wasted money, of course, which is a legitimate criticism, of course, of all this. But um, overall, of course, the U.S. isn't spending that amount of money now, isn't spending what it was spending at the t- height of the surge. What I think is interesting about this, though, is I, you know, the political rhetoric on this is just so dishonest, so disingenuous. So this month, August, earlier this month, um, President Trump got up there with the new prime minister of Iraq and they were talking about, um, you know, the, the continued partnership between the U.S. and Iraq. Now, of course, President Trump gets on Twitter and his media circuits go out and they blast the endless wars and they talk about how President Trump is against the endless wars and he's going to get America out of them against those nefarious neocons who are keeping us in, which is all, I mean, folks, this is bullshit, right? There are, I don't know who the neocons are. Uh, They certainly, who the, I, there were a handful of them during the Bush years. Certainly none of those people have any influence today. Uh, none of them are, yeah. are making yeah. policy today. And if President Trump wanted to get all of American forces out of Iraq, he could, right? He could do that tomorrow, right? I mean, you could just say, well, we're getting out, bye, you know, and basically could withdraw, withdraw forces. But instead, so President Trump gets up there at, at this press briefing. And so now he, on the one hand, he and his surrogates are, demoni- are demonizing, or they, I'm sorry, demonizing their political opposition, domestic political opposition supposed, which is really a character, which really doesn't even really exist, to be honest with you, um, as neocons and warmongers and all this stuff and endless wars. And on the other hand, President Trump does this press briefing with the Prime Minister of Iraq, and he's pressed on this. He says, he's asked by a reporter, he says, for us, where are you going to withdraw from Iraq totally within three years, as someone reported? And he wouldn't, he wouldn't commit to that. He wouldn't even commit to a full withdrawal within three years. He said, so at some point, we obviously will be gone. That's what he said. Um, but we brought it down to a very, very low level, and he basically justified this much reduced presence in Iraq. He said we've got a small presence there now, a very small presence there, and he wouldn't just he wouldn't commit to drawing it down any further or leaving entirely, even though the U.S. is cutting some of the forces. Um, it's just it's just sort of the complete um, just this discord here and all this in the political rare, This disconnect, I mean. Between, on the one hand, politically telling your base, you know, I'm here in Washington fighting those who want to keep the endless wars going. On the other hand, you you know, the president is put to the, is asked about this specifically, you know, whether or not you're going to totally get out. And he just says, he basically talks around it and says, you know what, we we have a very small presence there. And he justifies it on both military and his own economic uh, way of looking at things. Right, Bill?
1: Yeah, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I mean, if the policy is withdraw all the troops from Iraq. I mean, I think it's a bad idea, but certainly within the rights of the president of the United States to do so, um, then do it. I mean, you know, but stop this and the endless wars talk when you're not willing to actually do it. It's it's extremely annoying. And I got to imagine it's frustrating for those who have to serve in Iraq as well. Um, You know, and I'm going to make one quick point on that three hundred and forty seven million dollars in property. Um and equipment going go to the Iraqi security forces. I think we all know what happened the last time the yeah, no, U.S. left Iraq and transferred a lot of hardware. Um, just Google Islamic State and Humvee, and then you could see all of that military hardware being used by the Islamic State to slaughter people in Syria and in Iraq and to take, o- take over an area of both Iraq and Syria that was the size of Britain. Um, you know, look, these decisions have implications um, we pretend, you know, again, I'm going to repeat myself here. We pretend we could end these endless wars. But the fact is, the jihadists are not going to end these wars. We're just going to end our involvement. Let's be honest about this.
0: Yeah. I mean, that. that's the point is what bothers me about this is that on the one hand, you have President and his challenger, Vice President Biden, who we talked about in a previous episode of the podcast, you know, going off on the forever wars, endless wars. Okay. He can make plenty of reasonable critiques of them, sure. Uh, but on the other hand, not committing to fully withdrawing American forces from any of these places, and not only not refusing to make that commitment or not, just, just not following through and not doing it, but not justifying it, not you know only during this press briefing is, is President Trump gives give us sort of an ad hoc sort of justification for this. But if you're a service member, American service member serving one of these places, what does it seem, what does it got to feel like to you to be yeah. to be out there in Iraq or Afghanistan or one of these places and you hear sort of a half-hearted defense of what you're doing and you don't hear any real American leadership sort of giving you an unequivocal defense of what your mission is, you know? That, that's bothersome to me. I yeah. mean, I, if I were a service member, that would bother me, you know? I mean, you can't... You,
1: yeah, well, not only... Tom, not only that, like, so you, you don't have support for your mission, but if you're out there fighting these endless wars, you're actually demeaning what they're doing. You're, you're making them complicit in being, are they endless warriors in, in a sense? And, um, you know, so people like you and I, who are sitting there or those who are serving, that are sitting there saying, Hey, look, there's some kind of need here. We need to determine what that is. I agree. We should have a minimal presence have the bare minimum to do what what furthers our interests, but you know we're called warmongers and things like that, or you know people. Who yeah, I, I don't get that very. I don't get that very often, in, I don't think you either. Yeah. No, but but that's essentially that's, that's you, the rhetoric that the President Trump
0: were, and others are gauging in in general, though. Yeah, I mean, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah in, right. I mean, that really, if you if you refre- refuse to end the endless right. wars, what are you then? Right. You are by definition, you're someone who wants to remain yeah. in war. So, you're by definition a warmonger. I mean, and, and so that's why this is really offensive. Like, make it, make the case to fully withdraw from Iraq, from Afghanistan, from Africa, from all these places. If you like, make the case. But um, I just, you know, I'm just frustrated with continually hearing this and then leaving American troops. Yeah, so to, in Iraq to, to that point,
0: too, you know, President Trump got on Twitter and he went after uh, GOP conference chair Liz Cheney. Congress, uh, Congresswoman yeah. from Wyoming who's supportive of the president, who's expressed her misgivings and reservations and criticisms of the withdrawal deal with the Taliban and other issues that the president has taken and other policy courses the president has sent. Um, but, you know, he, he gets on Twitter and he says, she's just upset because I'm trying to end the, America's involvement in, or America, these endless wars, right? Well, wait a minute, you know, I don't think Congresswoman Liz Cheney is what's keeping the endless wars going, even if she has criticisms and, and does what she does, you know, on the Hill. The Taliban's keeping that war going in Afghanistan. ISIS is keeping that war going in Iraq and Syria. So is al Qaeda in different places, including Afghanistan, by the way. Um, you know, I mean, it's just it's sort of there's this. You know, impugning of motives, which is why I think you're getting that bill, which which bothers me. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I mean, exactly. like, you know, give me a break. You know, don't, don't impugn my motives or impute somebody's motives for saying, you hey, look, we need to, to fight terrorists or fight jihadists. I mean, that's ridiculous. You know, you can say how, how much you want to do that, but, th- th- but that speaks to the ideology of all this, right? It's only an ideologue would say, oh, you know, the real problem isn't, you know, the Taliban or Al Qaeda or ISIS, the real problem is, you know, some Republican Congress member or some politician or some talking yeah. head or one of us nerds or whatever, you know, you know, and that's, that's sort of the moral, it's shifting the moral weight from the terrorists to Amer- other Americans. And that's, that's really bothersome, yeah. you know, it really bothersome.
1: Other Americans who are concerned about all Americans' national right. security. I mean, you know, you, again, I happily sit down and have a debate on how we should, Fight this enemy. Um, I understand that people are reluctant to commit American troops to do so. I mean, so we should get, you know, we should be trying to get it right, not saying, not impute, as you said, impugn people's motives for doing Yeah. And
0: I, again, you know, we, we see the rise of the blame of America first isolationist sentiment now, of course, on the left and right. Um, and, you know, I don't think you can reason with those people. Um, that doesn't mean that all criticisms or you can't make a legitimate rational case against the presence of America in any of these theaters. I think you can. Obviously you can. I think you and I probably could critique the war in Afghanistan better than any, any of the any better than any of the, the harshest critics, right? Um, but it, it just it, it goes to this sort of you know shifting the moral weight for this stuff from the jaws, from the terrorists, from the actual bad guys to other Americans and other people who have opinions on this stuff and it just seems to be pretty noxious to me. Um, so that that's what's going on in Iraq again. That's just over five thousand troops there, and they're they're drawing down even further uh, from Iraq. I mean, whatever. I don't really have an opinion on what the right number is in Iraq. Do you, Bill? I don't really know what the right number should be. Uh,
1: no, I mean the right number uh, is going to be to to carry out your mission. I mean that's that to me. You know, I don't care about numbers. I care about are we do we have the forces available in places. To execute the mission. That's what matters. If that number is 3000, great. If it's 1000, that's fantastic. If it's 7000, let's go with that. Let's figure it out. You know, we need to define clearly define the mission and then get the resources in there to execute. That's what's important. It's this number game, extremely frustrating. Um, it's just a, I don't, I, I think it's just all politics to just be able to say, Look, I've withdrawn troops from Iraq. I'm drawing down and I'm, I'm trying to end this. But just, you know, I'm at the point here, Tom, where either we commit to doing what we actually want to do or just get out and and let the consequences be damned. I mean, um, I that's where I kind of am on this. I, I, I realize that's sort of throwing my hands up in the air, but at some point, you know. What are we doing if we're if it it did it matter that we have five thousand two hundred and now we're going to the third is that the right number to achieve the mission? Or is it just because we want to reduce our footprint in Iraq? If it's the latter, then just pull them out. We're not we're not there doing what we need to they're not there doing what they need to do. That's
0: so let's now let's move to Somalia where uh the fight against Shabaab, Al-Qaeda's branch in East Africa and Somalia continues. Um AFRICOM in recent days, we're recording this again on a, August 31st and August 28th, AFRICOM came out with a new statement saying they've carried out 46 airstrikes in 2020 against Shabab. And if you look at the AFRICOM statement, I read it as AFRICOM, this is U.S. Africa Command, as essentially laying out the case for the ongoing mission to say, to sort of remind people what Shabab is. Um, using language. And for example, they say Shabab is a dangerous enemy that presents a threat to Somalia, its neighbors and the United States. The Al-Qaeda aligned terrorist organization increasingly employs lies, engages in criminal acts and blends into communities to create fear and intimidate lo- uh, local populations. And AFRICOM kind of goes on uh, to sort of build their case in the statement that they put out. Um, I, I, Again, I find it, you know, I, I think everything AFRICOM is saying, the statement is accurate. I mean, you and I fought the disconnected dots crowd on Shabab years ago. We remember that old debate. We're going to do a whole episode on that. Oh, you know, the yeah. disconnected dots crowd was all Shabab isn't really Al Qaeda. Whoops, you know you were wrong. Of course, I don't. Uh, you know we're still waiting for you guys to admit you were wrong. Um, but we'll, we're going to deal with that in a future episode. Um, and you know Shabab remains openly loyal to Al Qaeda to this day. And Al Qaeda's Amir Al Zawahiri and they fought. Um, The ISIS is attempting expansion in in Somalia, where ISIS still has a small presence and does carry out attacks in Mogadishu and elsewhere. Um, But Shabab has successfully quashed basically that sort of insurrection against the emir of Shabab within the jihadi ranks. Um, but I, again, there's a disconnect, right, Bill, between on the one hand you have U.S. Africa Africom laying out the case, explaining why they're continuing to fight Shabab on on behalf of our Somali partners, and on the other hand you have the endless or forever wars rhetoric. It's sort of this the schizophrenia on all this, right? Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely. Looking of all the commands out there, um, CENTCOM and uh, you know, well, really the two main commands that are engaged are CENTCOM and Africom in this war, um, but. Africom gets it right. I mean, I don't. I have one thing I disagree in that statement, and I realize I'm nitpicking. And Africom, I'm sorry, it's not uh Aligned, right? Yeah, or, I thought the same thing. A line right? group. It's Al Qaeda. I mean, it's Al Qaeda's branch in East Africa. That's the aligned really al- word
0: bothered me nitpicking. too. It's not nitpicking. The aligned word bothered me too because it doesn't sound as organic as it is, right?
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. It's making right. it seem like whereas you know when we do this Shabab episode, you'll see the close knit ties between you know going back decades between what become what became Shabab um, and um, and Al Qaeda's uh, general command. And it's, its yeah, the disconnected well. daughters got that uh, wrong
0: on the Bin Laden files. They got that wrong on on what the group was doing at different times. We're gonna get into all that, but the point is, yeah, yeah. I mean, it still is a wholly vested member of the Al Qaeda network. It's a branch of Al Qaeda, and you know I. I've heard from people that the Shabab's Zamir, you know, probably plays a, a bigger role within Al Qaeda globally than people realize. Uh, okay. we're gonna get into all that. But but the point is here you have AFRICOM saying here's the ongoing mission, right, Bill? And 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 this is why we're doing what we're doing. And and you you don't have any senior politician, political figure, certainly not the president of the United States or anybody else, explaining that and justifying that to the American people. You just have AFRICOM putting out this statement saying, here's what we're yeah. doing, here's why we're doing it. Okay. But you don't have anybody else saying, yeah, you're right. And this is why we need to keep doing it, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you essentially have, you know, the president of the United States dumping on AFRICOM's mission. AFRICOM's, as you said, clearly defining the enemy and explaining the threat to the United States. And AFRICOM is correct about this. I mean, we've had plots emanate from Somalia. Um, you know, look, the, you know, the 1st I think the first American suicide, first and second and possibly the third, were – in Somalia, they fought for Shabab. Um, so, yeah, look, it, and here's and the thing. About, you're I mean, about Americans that
0: recruited by Shabab, went off and blew themselves up in Somalia, right? Went
1: – and blew themselves up right. I mean, up you can have – there's Somalia. a whole
0: yes, clique of analysts who would discount all that and say, who cares, it doesn't bother – that's not a threat to America they're pulling themselves yeah. up in Somalia. Well, okay. You know, you could see how easily I could be yeah, turned sure. back around against in Minneapolis or somewhere else, right? So
1: – yeah. And, you know, what, what the Osama bin Laden was doing in the deserts of didn't Afghanistan matter, right? in 1997. And, what, and the FBI, matter, you know, right? certainly had to devote a good amount of
0: its resources to disrupting Shabab's networks on American soil, which is, of course, something that people don't discount when they talk about this. But you, you pointed, Bill, to, yeah. to one of these airstrikes that was done recently. Who's this guy now? He's a Shabab operations chief.
1: Yeah. They call him uh, Abdul Qatar Commando. I don't know if that's his real name or if that's a. Um, he certainly thinks a lot of himself. Um Look, there's been, so, you know, these strikes, they occasionally take out a member of a Shabab's leadership. Sometimes it's network that's uh, plotting to get up attacks outside the United States. But more often than not, these strikes uh, kill members of Shabab who are supporting the insurgency. Um, Th- Tom and I would all argue that the insurgency aspect of these groups is the lifeblood of these terrorist groups. Um, I mean, I just think it's really wrong to even sit there for us to call them terrorist groups. They're terrorist insurgencies. The insurgencies feed the external operations. But the United States has been doing this for over a decade. Um, you know, these strikes, they, they've kept a lid on, uh, loosely kept a lid on, on Shabab. but there's no way, not, it's not a path to victory. Um, not in Somalia, not in Yemen, not in Afghanistan or Pakistan. Um, airstrikes or, you know, targeted killing airstrikes, whatever you want to call them, um, is a tool within the toolbox. Um, and if your strategy is to keep it all keep a lid on it, well then so be it. Um, now some some would say, so, well, you
0: don't have a pat you don't have a strat we heard this on a lot of these things. You don't have a strategy for victory, therefore you shouldn't do anything. And I think that's a that's a false dichotomy. Right. I mean, you know, yeah. there there is value in preventing Shabab from re- from forming its emirate in East Africa and becoming this you know, sort of uh, new, you know, even more so of an exporter of jihadism and, and projecting its terrorism throughout the region, which we've already seen it does regularly, you know, attacking in Kenya and elsewhere. Um, and so the idea that, you know, basically, you, you know, America's not going to defeat Shabaab anytime soon, and we agree they're not going to, and neither are Somali allies, but that means basically you shouldn't do anything is, is what you hear people say. And this is, this gets to the problem with the endless wars rhetoric, right? I mean, Who's yeah. keeping the endless war going? The endless jihadis—that's who's keeping keeping it going, you know. Yeah.
1: And yeah, and and are in fighting not to win, which, by the way, would require a large U.S. or international presence. Which, by the way, I do not advocate in Somalia. I think we all remember what happened in the uh, 1990s um, when the U.S. engaged in in Somalia. It was not pretty. It's that's not a. That's about as. Um, as a, a failed state as you'll get out there, and I don't think that's a good place. But you know, look, there's but three now, options you the difference Either, now. Though is you yeah. have
0: a federal government that's allied with the U.S. That's is take, trying to take the fight to Shabab, and the U.S. is actively engaged exactly. I mean, it's and yeah.
1: yeah, no, no. But so look, you have and with that, you have three options. You could go all in and and to help them and try to defeat Shabab. Probably again, still not a good idea in in Somalia. Um, you can keep a lid on the problem. You could help the, the, the Somali government, you know, with targeted strikes and continue to train. We all know that that's going to lead to this stalemate, which, by the way, extends this war, or you can get out. I mean, there's not two options. There's three. There is a middle option there where you can find the optimal amount of, you know, resources to devote to the, um, for the United States to devote to keep, keep a lid. Either, either Africom is right and Shabab is a threat to the United States, or it's wrong, um, and it's not. Um, you and I happen to believe it is correct.
0: Yeah, I, I think Yeah, Africa. I think you can make the case now. But the problem that we're highlighting here is that outside this AFRICOM statement, nobody else is making the case, and you have a lot of people who are decrying these efforts. I mean, you even had you know Secretary of Defense Esper and others have intimated that maybe AFRICOM needs to pull back across all of Africa and just get out of this altogether. Yeah. I think that people need to recognize what that actually means and the, uh, make the explicit argument. What What I want to hear people then say is, you know what, uh, I don't care if Shabaab forms an Islamic Emirate in East Africa. That's what you'd have to say then, right? Or I don't care if al-Qaeda yeah, forms an Emirate in West Africa. Just make that case. Say you don't care about it and be honest about what it is. Be honest that you don't care and that you're going to discount that threat entirely. Just be honest about it. because. Because otherwise, that's, you're just playing the blame America first game, right? And saying, "Oh, America's keeping us going. It's America being there. That's the problem." Well, wait a minute. America's there. Whether you, agree, you can disagree with it and say you don't want to put any more resources into it, okay? You can say you don't want to put anything into it anymore. But be honest about what you say on the other side. Now, there are ideologues in our field even who make those make those arguments. But I want I want to hear it more yeah. nationally if you're going to really go that route. You know.
1: Yeah. And and if you want to, if you think that, oh well, fine, shabab, it's just some terrorist group. Well. Last week, it took control of a town outside of the city of Baidoa, which is in western Somalia. Well, what does that mean? Well, Baidoa was the city that uh, that its predecessor, the Islamic Courts Union, took control. Or, um, yeah, it took control of that city, and then it's it started spreading. Throughout Somalia, and then also over the weekend, the U. Uh, the Shabab attacked the U.S. and uh, joint U.S. Somali base outside of the city of Kismayo. It's the second largest city in Somalia, and it also was overrun by Shabab, at, um, and they controlled it for several years before you had to get the Kenyans and African Union with United States help to, to help drive them out. Shabab already controls um 25% of the country. I think if you pull the US resources, you could you pretty much can guarantee that Shabab will establish an emirate like it did in 2008-2009 and held on it to it for about it controlled the capital of Mogadishu, controlled nearly all of central and southern Somalia until an international force had to go in and beat it out. Um Shabab isn't dead, it's still around. Um, you could either concede this fight to them, or you can help keep the lid on it. We know, all know that the victory option isn't there, and, and again, Tom and I aren't, aren't advocating this, but we do need to do something to keep that lid on it.
0: You know, so it reminds me too. I remember there was that whole push to blame, sort of, is the uh, jihadism of the Islamic Courts Union, the predecessor to Shabab, on the Ethiopian intervention in Somalia. Remember this bill? There was this, whole, this was all sort of a you know blame the external forces for what Shabab and his predecessor yeah. were. And that was all fictitious history. But it, again, it what it, it points to when we were going through that back in the day, what people don't realize is, you know, a lot of times in our field in particular, you see this this idea that it's the interventionists or people who prefer military support, sort of again, the motives that they sort of cook the books to justify it, right? Oh, this is, you know, you're just pretending something is not is Al-Qaeda because you want to intervene there, which is nonsense, you know? The facts are what they are. But actually, it's the anti-interventionists. It's the, the people who are opposed to the U.S. military using force that more often than not, in my view, uh, have actually uh, politicized their own view of these things or have cooked the books on it. And we see that all the time, saying it's just a pure local force. Don't worry about it. Who cares? Blah, 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 blah. And you see, and, and blaming other actors for sort of their their uh presence in the international jihad. And that to me, you know, that's a much more pervasive line of thinking as I don't even really want to call it thinking. much more pervasive line of sort of <laughs> um attack, pseudo yeah, pseudo intellectual analysis than than anything that you see, you know, pe- um uh, people are doing. I mean, look, Shabab is Open, loud and proud about it, its, it's role in yeah. Al-Qaeda's network. To try and deny yeah. that at this point is ridiculous. But um, you had people years ago trying to do that, even though there was plenty of evidence even then that it was, it was
1: ridiculous, right? Yeah. It was so enthusiastic about its ties that Al-Qaeda is central. Osama bin Laden had to tell Sheikh Zubair who was the leader um, to hide its ties to keep international aid flowing into famine-stricken areas that Shabab controlled. That's how... Enth- so... Al Qaeda was sitting there and telling Shabab, "Look, you could tell your people that you are you know, Al Qaeda. That we, you have uh, a buyout. You are Al Qaeda, yeah. but yeah, but no public announcement, no yeah. confirmation to the press. Keep keep the keep it hidden, okay? And look, Al Qaeda at that time was looking for any type of recognition in the fight." Um, so yeah, the Shabab, you know, to
0: that old history, that old history was all mangled. F- we're going to get into that from the Bin Laden files and yep, how that was yep. totally that the, the, re- the reading of those files is totally tortured. We're going to get into what, what actually happened there. Um, yep. well, let's move back to our favorite, uh, theater Afghanistan, Ugh. which we have to, we have to cover. Um, so U.S. officials told New York Times just in the last day or so from when we're recording this and the, the reporter there is Thomas Gibbons Neff. Am I saying his name right? I hope I'm not butchering his name. Yeah, I believe I that's on, correct. Yes. If I am, Thomas, I apologize. Um, I think he's a former service member himself who's in Afghanistan. And so he has yes. a report up about U.S. officials um, saying that the Taliban or a faction of the Taliban fired rockets at Camp Bastion and Helmand as well as Camp Dwyer. And the rocket attacks occurred in July and August. And these rocket attacks are allegedly a violation of the U.S. Taliban deal, which was signed on February 29th in Doha. Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the deal again because we just can't get away from it. Um but the first thing that came to my mind when I saw this was, so and of course the Taliban denies that they they did these rocket attacks. But if you actually look at the text of the agreement that was released to the public, there's nothing in there preventing you know saying the Taliban is not going to attack these bases. There's nothing in there saying the Taliban has agreed to not attack American forces. Even um, this is apparently an understanding that's either in an annex to the agreement or annexes to the agreement that weren't released to the public or some sort of verbal understanding or a combination of the two. But it's not actually in the agreement that was released to the public. So the actual agreement we have, the text of the agreement we have, um, doesn't say anything about Camp Bastion, Camp Dwyer, or other U.S. military facilities. There are these supposed um, U- counterterrorism assurances from the Taliban about not allowing Al-Qaeda or similar anti-American terrorists to attack the U.S. and its, its allies. And you know, basically, some are trying to portray this as sort of stringent crit- uh, uh uh, sort of uh, criteria or stringent parts of the agreement that these are really sort of strict, and that the Taliban has to agree to this stuff. We're going to get into it in a second again why that isn't the case. But the bottom line is, there's nothing specifically saying in the text. Again, the text of the agreement released to the public that the Taliban can't do this. So I don't, I don't know where, how this is a violation. Although uh, other than if it's in the unreleased portions of the text, right,
1: Bill? Yeah. Well, if it's in an some unreleased portion of the text, um, well tough luck. I mean, the Taliban has been quite clear that it's it, what the Taliban's position is. This is the agreement. We follow the agreement to the letter. So it look, I, to me, this just strikes me as uh, just more whining by U.S. military officials. Remember, they whined about how the, the Taliban didn't reduce violence and how that was a violation of the deal. But go ahead and read the deal. There's nothing in there whatsoever that says the Taliban needs to reduce violence. Um, the Taliban... Commitment to um not attack U.S. forces, so-called commitment, really is just sort of a, a. I think it's something they, you know, sort of a nod and a wink. They said they won't do it, but again, they're not. They're not obligated to do that. It's not in this deal. Um, things that are that are behind the scenes. How can you defend that? You'd have to release that. The Taliban is denying it. So look, I. I want to take a shower every time I have to say this, but the Taliban has held up to its end. Well, again, as
0: far agreement. as we know, now there may be this unreleased yeah. annex or annexes that say, that say, because you know, Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo said, told the press, when he's questioned about this, that the unreleased annexes talk about the American moving military personnel around, and how they're going to basically shift resources and where they're going to be in the military bases. My presumption reading his comments is that there was some understanding that the Taliban wasn't going to attack Americans as they do that, right? And sort of... But the point is here. The point is in this reporting, and I'm not blaming the report or anything like that. But we're skipping some steps here in terms of demonstrating that there's a violation of the agreement. Because if you go again, go to the actual text of the agreement released to Americans, who I think have the right to see the whole thing, uh, and there's nothing in there about this. There's nothing about any of these camps in there. So you know, again, maybe the Taliban did violate
1: some provisions in the unreleased portion of the text. But in terms of what we can see,
0: well, I can't really say that.
1: Yeah, yeah I'm looking at the Taliban will deny it all day long. Um, so here's another possibility. Here, these bases, US usually have both US and Afghan certainly, forces. That's certainly, it's certainly, the
0: case of Camp Ashton. So, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So the Taliban can always just come out and say, "Well, we are targeting Afghan right. forces," so, which again so is what? most explicitly
0: so, not included in any part of the agreement. Right? We yeah, we know exactly. that there's no violation of that anywhere. You know that that was that was never part, never Taliban, never agreed to that at all.
1: This is just one of the multiple reasons why this is a bad deal. The U.S. can whine and complain that the Taliban's violating it, but what is out there and what the Taliban claims is the official deal, the Taliban winds up being right when you look at the at the text of that agreement. If if it was something else important, if- Well, they're, you know, they're, well, they're right why in certain
0: I, cases, but remember too, they also lie about Al-Qaeda's presence in Afghanistan, so- so, of, yeah, of I mean, course, it's, so they're lying yeah. about are so here yeah. too. I mean, you know, there's, they're, I mean, uh, yes, I mean, absolutely, it's too, it's giving, they're pretending Al qaeda you know, so, so. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it, it's been six months since this agreement was signed between the Taliban and the U.S. in Doha. It was signed February 29th. We're sitting here recording this on August 31st, so it's been six months, and we're still not aware of any evidence of a break between the Taliban and Al Qaeda, which is what. Uh, Zalmay Khalil Azad, special representative for this, sold the American public, which Secretary of State Mike Pompeo sold the American public. It's been six months. Nobody could point to any evidence of any kind of break or renunciation or anything like that. The top U.S. commander in Afghanistan, uh, General Scott Miller, recently told Afghan television, One TV, he said, there's a debate on their ties with Al Qaeda and we will continue to watch those. Uh, there are very strict commitments there and they must be upheld. This is what he said. Right? That's the quote on, on One TV. Now, what I found interesting about that is if you read the agreement, again, I don't find the commitments very strict at all. In fact, I found multiple ways you can read around it, uh, read around those uh, provisions. The only time that al-Qaeda is specifically mentioned uh, has to do with preventing them from attacking the U.S., which we know the Taliban has lied about since the 1990s. So I don't know why anybody would think there's anything strict there. There's no certainly no enforcement or verification mechanisms in anything that's been released to the public. Again, maybe there's some magical annex that includes this stuff. Nothing we've seen, right? So I don't know what Miller's th- General Miller's talking about there.
1: And Congress, Congress persons who saw that annex um, said that that is right. not in there. Look, Tom. Actually, I'm right about the Taliban li- adhering to the letter of this deal because, as you said, well, there's nothing in there that says Al Qaeda well, wait a can't minute. I mean, be well, an. But the thing is,
0: though, is you can read certain
1: provisions. All yeah. they say is that they all they say is that they can't no no the no they're, provi- they're provisions against the west no no, the west. Provision-
0: no, no. There are provisions in there that say that any terrorists that threaten the U.S. or its allies can't fundraise, recruit, train, etc. Those are in the agreement, right? That's what they say. Yeah. The thing about the the thing about those provisions is it doesn't specifically say Al Qaeda in those provisions. This is it above, right? Right. Um, but I mean, certainly Al Qaeda would be included in those provisions if you were if you were being honest about what those provisions meant, right? Uh. Well, if it was a good deal, right. then
1: you would actually but, name them. Tom, my yeah. whole point about this is like, that it's such a bad deal that this should be so easy to make the case. But it's so poorly worded. As it's you very poorly said, worded. Yeah, it's very poorly worded. It, it, it's, we've signed deals to, for, for loans for our cars that were more Yeah, when I when i leased longer. a car
0: from Enterprise or one of those other car rental places, I don't even know if I can, you know. This is an advertise for, advertisement for those places. Although, if you'd like to advertise on Generation Chai, you can contact us. Um, but uh, the the thing is, is that when I sign those lease agreements, uh, you know, or the rental agreements, I should say, they're far more comprehensive than this this paperwork. But what I'm saying is, is that there are there are sort of provisions in there. You know, for example, you know, the, the second provision in there says the Taliban um, basically. Is agreed to not not to cooperate with groups or individuals threatening the security of the United States and its allies. That's the second provision in this counterterrorism assurances. The third one says um, basically will prevent any group or individual in Afghanistan from threatening the security of the United States and its allies and will prevent them from recruiting, training, and fundraising, and will not host them in accordance with the commitments in this agreement. Now, the point is that my point about this all along is, and you can read the other provisions sort of like that too. What this agreement should have said at a minimum is specifically Al Qaeda in the Indian Subcontinent, other Al Qaeda affiliated groups, and enumerate them, explain them what they are. These groups will not be allowed to operate in Taliban territory, um, and we're going to take concrete steps to prevent them from doing so. Right? That that's not what the text says. It just basically is this more open-ended language, um, which allows the Taliban wiggle room to basically say, "Well, who threatens the United States?" You know, Al Qaeda in the Indian Subcontinent is just. Right now, they're just with us attacking the Afghan government. You know, they're not really a threat to the U.S. You know, but that's that's where I think this gets dishonest and disingenuous. To those,
1: yeah, that, that and that is yeah. my point, Tom. That's why it's so poorly worded that it can be interpreted. But that goes any it goes it like. goes now beyond. All, but the thing is, know that
0: that, it goes beyond just saying we're not going to let Al Qaeda attack the U.S. from Afghan soil. It yeah. has it has these, it has these other understand. provisions that should apply to Al Qaeda, but it's so poorly worded that yeah. basically there are there is wiggle room there. Um, and it yeah. supposed the Taliban's supposed to make a statement saying that anybody threatens the US doesn't, you know, we have nothing to do with them. And of course, we haven't that's one of the few things you could say is maybe concrete. And they haven't made any such statement. We're here six months out, and we haven't seen any statement like that from the Taliban yet. But here's why this matters, right? So the Defense Department's Inspector General's office released a report in mid-August. So this now this is the Inspector General's office of the DOD. This isn't just a Long War Journal. This is what the DOD, which is wants out of Afghanistan and has endorsed this deal, and you got Scotty Miller saying there's a debate over this who the hell knows what he's talking about um but you know here's what the inspector general's office says um so sean w o'donnell who's the acting inspector general for the u.s department of defense in this report dated august 14th it was released on august 18th he says the united nations security council and u.s central command that is u.s centcom both reported that the taliban remained supportive of al-qaeda even to the point of working together to attack afghan security forces That same report says that report, that same analysis by Inspector General's office uh, says, reports published during the quarter, however, indicated that the Taliban continued a high tempo of attacks targeting the Afghan National Defense and Security Forces, that's the ANDSF, and maintained its ties with Al-Qaeda, conducting some attacks alongside members of Al-Qaeda's regional affiliate Al-Qaeda in the Indian subcontinent. And of course, the the same report goes on to cite uh, General Kenneth McKenzie um, as as talking about how the conditions have not been satisfied for a full withdrawal. And that the guarantee um, not to harbor al-Qaeda had not yet been met. And the, the Inspector General's Office says the DOD also cited an al-Qaeda claim that the Taliban and al-Qaeda conducted attacks together. So I don't know what the debate is that the General Miller is talking about. Um, we haven't seen any positive or affirmative evidence of a break between the Taliban and al-Qaeda. I did have, there was one commenter who sort of repeats the Taliban apologist talking points on some of my articles, including my newsletter, The Dispatch who said, well, there's a debate over you know, whether or not the Taliban will allow al-Qaeda to attack the U.S. And I thought to myself, holy cow, if you guys are sitting there debating that at this point in 2020, then you are out to lunch, right? You're, you're done. Mm-hmm. Because, first yeah. of all, this this is the same lie the Taliban said prior to 9-11 over and over again. Unless you have some sort of concrete evidence the Taliban is taking actions to restrain al-Qaeda, then, then this is a debate. It's just sort of pseudo-intellectual screen, uh, chin-scratching as opposed to really citing hard evidence, you know? Uh, now, again, I'll change my opinion if I see real evidence, but apparently these people, you know, decades worth of evidence doesn't change their opinion. Um, and so if that's what they're talking about, well, the other point about that is al-Qaeda doesn't need today, doesn't need to launch an attack against the U.S. from Afghanistan like it did on 9-11. Um, it's in multiple theaters, right? So even if al-Qaeda didn't attack us, let's say you, you have multiple workarounds in this case, right? You could, Al-Qaeda could give an order for an attack from Afghanistan, but it's actually conducted from somewhere else. Uh, Al-Qaeda guys could cross the border into Pakistan and launch an attack against the U.S., or they could just launch an attack from somewhere else in part of Al-Qaeda's global network. But making this the centerpiece of all this just shows that these people don't really have an understanding of the overall thinking here, you know, um, and also don't have an understanding of the torturous Taliban, you know, torturous U.S. attempts to get the Taliban to break with Al-Qaeda and to restrain Al-Qaeda. None of which, again, we haven't seen any evidence for that, and yet we have the Inspector General's Office of the Defense Department saying there's evidence going the other way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't, you know, Tom, I have nothing to add to that. You, you've you encapsulated all my thoughts on that. Um, you know, the, here's a case where the facts don't match up with the policy. The policy is we need to get the hell out of Afghanistan at any cost. Um, we'll pretend that the Taliban is fulfilling some type of phantom obligation. That's and, a good phantom obligation. I like, um, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And and um despite the fact what the Defense Department is saying about Taliban-Al Qaeda ties, it's that simple. I mean, again, if you went out of Afghanistan, just like Iraq, just say you went out of Afghanistan and we don't care that the Taliban will take over half the country within a year, um, that it's not in American interest to do so. Well, guess what? 20 years ago, it was in American interest. And, you know, we know what our enemy is capable of. We know what our enemy, what Al Qaeda and its allies want to do. Um, if you think that ignoring them will make this problem go away, it'll just make them turn inward, then you don't understand the what, what
0: I would threats. say about that is the smarter case for getting out of Afghanistan, the smarter policy course is we're not going to pretend the Taliban is something it isn't. We're not going to endorse it as a de facto a partner. Time's up. We're getting out. We've been here for a long time, and American people don't support this, and we don't have any political leadership that supports it, or very few political leaders who support it. Military leadership doesn't want to articulate it. Um, okay, you know, we're getting out. That's You can make that make that decision. Uh, but we're not going to whitewash the Taliban on the way out. Those two things are not logically connected, right? You don't need to, to pretend the Taliban is something it isn't, again, absent real evidence. If you have real evidence that you found a change in the Taliban's behavior and you can cite that, hey, the Long Word Journal report it right away, right? Because it would be a fantastic story to report. And it will be the diplomatic achievement uh, in the jihadi world or, again, in the fight against jihadists um, basically of all time. So go ahead and go for it. Uh, I would love to see it. Um, but absent that sort of strong evidence, then you're just basically lying on the Taliban's behalf as you get out. Now there's no no reason for that. The smarter course is to just get out and say, look, we're going to play defense. We're not going to allow Al Qaeda or other terrorists. We're going to try and track, however we can, through intelligence means or whatever we've got, however we can. We're going to be travel restrictions or whatever. We're going to try and prevent Al Qaeda from coming and hitting us again from Afghanistan, and Pakistan, and, and surrounding countries again, going forward, okay? You know, you can make you can make that case and that our defenses are better now than they were on 9-11 and therefore we can play stronger defense. We know there are problems with those arguments, but those are legitimate arguments to make, right? What's not legitimate is to stand up the Taliban as our de facto counterterrorism partner absent evidence that they are doing that, absent the absent evidence that they are such a thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, on the issue of travel, well, that's worked out so well, right? Taliban. I mean, designation of after designation of Taliban and Al Qaeda leaders shows that these guys are able to move into the um the Gulf region for fundraising and, and recruiting and other and meetings, um, uh, st- at will basically. How do they do this? They travel through Pakistan, which looks the other way. Um, so if you think that you know. If that well, you know, the an interesting, that thing, uh, what going a to interesting
0: thing on that, on Pakistan, that's true. Uh, but you remember one of bin Laden's last plots was that Mumbai-style attacks against uh, Europe they were plotting, uh, uh, Yunus al-Maritani and other guys were involved in plotting. Interestingly enough, we got from the, the court case, from the evidence out of Germany from one of the conspirators who was captured in that plot— Actually, those guys traveled through Iran because they feared that the Pakistanis would actually stop them from attacking inside Europe or committing a high-profile international terrorist attack. But they thought that the Iranian gateway was safer for them, which is interesting. It's again one of those things that's now whitewashed and all this, um, and you know makes me a warmonger, of course, for saying this. Uh, but right, right, right but yeah. um, right, right, of course, of course. Uh, But you know, the point is is that you know there are multiple ways they could go about doing this, and it, there's multiple problems with it for sure. Um, but I say you could you could make the reasonable case that look, we don't want to fight in Afghanistan anymore. We don't want American service members to play there anymore, and we're gonna play defense and we're gonna just make sure our defenses are better than ever. We know there are problems with that argument, but that's better than holding up the Taliban yeah, as better, our guarantor, yeah. right? It's better than saying the Taliban is our our security guarantor, right?
1: Yeah, pick the pick the elements and the Afghan security forces, warlords, whatever, how you know, arm them up and support them however you can. All you know. All, oh, by the way, which just extends war. Um, but hey, if that's what you want to do, um, that endless war won't end. It's just the U.S. involvement in it, but that's fine. If that's what you want to do, um, just make the case for it. But guess what? If an attack, um, emanates from Afghanistan against the, either the homeland or against U.S. interests throughout the world, own that. You know, your policies allowed, you know, were um, permitted. I that think, to
0: you know, the bigger, the bigger threat to me, the bigger problem to me than a specific attack. I mean, I think the threats. Oh, yeah, I, I yeah, do. I, I think it basically Tommy, yeah. re- rises. It, it Basically, if the jihadists are able to succeed, the Taliban al-Qaeda axis is able to win and reconstitute the Emirate in Afghanistan. Yeah. I think that raises the tide of jihadism globally in a way that basically the, the, yeah, the victor's absolutely. message goes out. And that creates a problem for us in terms of now all these jihadis are looking at this thinking, oh, wow, they defeated the Americans just like they defeated the Soviets, even though we know that's not a directly true. There's all sorts of loopholes there and problems with that analogy. But that's going to be the argument that Mujahideen won once again. And basically, you know, we're, we're ascendant. That, you know, that victor's message is what ISIS played off of in, in building the caliphate and attracting people to it. Um, you can see a similar type of message emanating from Central South Asia. Uh, you know, I mean, I think that that could be a big problem for us long run and keep by the way, the endless war is going, the endless jihad going, and you can give it a boost once yeah. again. You know, um, So that, that's all a big bundle of problems there. You know, Again, you know, they've got a lot of stumbling blocks in their way from executing another 9-11 style attack. Of course they do. Um, doesn't mean that those stumbling blocks are always going to work. Um, they could fail. Uh, there's a lot of uh, security measures we have in place to stop this sort of thing. But it just doesn't make sense to pretend the Taliban is the one that's going to stop it for us. Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, how, how can we trust them? I mean, look, I'll I'll make one more point before we move on. Keep in mind, remember, remember the Shorabakh camp raid? That was one of the largest. There was two camps in, in Shorabakh district in Kandahar. The U.S. didn't know about it until it conducted another operation. That was it was a large al-Qaeda camp. They didn't know about Shorabakh, that it existed while the United States is in country. It didn't know about two significant al-Qaeda training camps operating in Kandahar province until we raided conducted a raid against another Al Qaeda operative and another Al Qaeda encampment, which was in Paktika or Paktiya province, I can't remember which. Doesn't Eastern really matter, Afghanistan. Anyway. Neighboring. It was Eastern yeah, let's call it Eastern Afghanistan. Um yeah, that's the I mean if think about that. Think about how blind we are while we're there. Now think about how blind we will be.
0: And yeah, I mean that's there. a point I've raised in in congressional testimony elsewhere too. Is that you know the U.S. has had a hard time being able to figure out what Al Qaeda's presence looks like in Afghanistan with forces there. You know, you think we're gonna, that's that's going to get better or easier with forces gone? Yep. You know, now that's not an argument for them to stay, by the way, because you know the, the assessments have been pretty poor through the years with American having larger forces there. So I can't say that's an argument in favor of a continued American presence. It just says. It just means that when it comes to ensuring that there's no threat to U.S. interests abroad or allies, whatever, um, I think that becomes even a a thornier problem for us once the American forces depart, although it's a problem now, you know. Um, so and and again, you know, there's a number of different ways, a number of different platforms that Al Qaeda or ISIS could use to attack us from. They don't necessarily need to do it from Afghanistan, Pakistan. Although that is an area of the world that is, as U.S. officials occasionally point out, correctly teeming with jihadists and terrorists. I mean, Pakistan is still the, one of the places where I am fearful in the long run of what's coming out of Pakistan. Just to remember all the all the problems there. Um, And and again, the the victor's message out of Afghanistan, what does that do with the Frankenstein monster that originated in Pakistan in terms of jihadis? You know, how does that does that then turn against its host? You know, we'll see. We're going to find out, I I fear. Um, So let's get to the last point here on Afghanistan to wrap up this week's episode. It's just you pointed, you pointed this bill to this report about the these targeted killings in Afghanistan the Taliban's denying responsibility. Why don't you get into that? Why don't you take that a little bit, give us a little bit of history on that?
1: Yeah. So right now we're seeing an uptick. The We're seeing uh, assassinations uh, of basically in, in civil society in Afghanistan, Perf, you know, um, professors, lawyers, uh, people, in, you know, uh, uh, journalists, uh, people who support women's rights or, or um, nonprofits, et cetera, et cetera. They're, they're being assassinated. Um, they said that there's been a very large uptick. Apparently 49 have been killed so far this year. Now, look, assassinations, it's not a, um, uh, something new. Um, it, it's a, it's a standard guerrilla tactic, but it's one that the Taliban, um, has ver- effectively implemented over the years. Um, And look, we know these attacks, they're certainly carried out by the Taliban. The Taliban doesn't want to take credit for them because it makes them look bad as they're getting ready to head to to intra-Afghan talks, which, remember, is not just between talks between the Afghan government and the Taliban. It's only the the Afghan government is only a element of that. Then the rest of civil society is supposed to be involved. Um, So the Taliban has been doing it for years. Um, But the primary target in many, should I say, the more prominent targets of of these attacks have been individuals in the security services or or government officials. Um, General Rizik uh, was assassinated several years ago. He's the the security, he was the security police police chief in Kandahar province, um, a staunch American ally, a a hater of the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. Um, They killed him. Like, like you go on and on about political and military leaders who've been targeted. But now the Taliban's getting a, a little more granular here. They're going after the the individuals that are, say, a tier or two below that. Um, You know, I think this is, uh, look, and this is something, by the way, that the Taliban in Pakistan did with great effect when it took control of North and South Waziristan, then the rest of the tribal areas, and then including in uh, throughout the, there was a, a number of districts throughout the, what was then the Northwest, Northwest Frontier Province. It's now called Khyber Pakhtunkhwa. Um, the, they killed, all uh, they killed clerics. They killed politicians. They killed police chiefs, military leaders. They, the Taliban were extremely efficient and it basically removed all opposition. I think, you know, look, the, Tom and my opinion on this is very simple. The Taliban is, not sincere in its talks in, in in that it's going to conduct actual peace talks um I think what you're seeing here is um they're they're weakening and 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 intimidating civil society which is um going to be going into those peace into these so called peace talks they're really withdrawal talks, but they're supposed to be peace talks between the um the taliban and Afghan society i can't say the Afghan government again, so I think they're attempting, they're, they're attempting to silence that element in d- during these talks and then they're they're laying the groundwork for the Islamic emirate of Afghanistan for the return of the taliban's government they're going to remove anyone who could stand in their way um, you do it f- when you conduct a campaign like this, you do it from high and you do it from the middle and you do it down low and when you when you want to remove any opposition, you remove those who could stand in your way. That's what I think we're seeing now.
0: Yeah, I I agree. I think you can see this in UN reporting and other US government reports too, that basically they've been hollowing out the opposition, both religious opposition and other civil society opponents of the Taliban's rule, basically paving the way for the Islamic Emirate, which again, we don't see any evidence so far, six months into the US Taliban deal, that the Taliban is willing to walk its way back from that. You know so again, we're recording this on August 31st. I'm really hoping for the September, week of September 11th, we can do something on Osama bin Laden's files. I'm desperately trying to get the time to do this to pull it together, um, just to talk about uh, sort of bin Laden's final year of life. We're definitely gonna do that at some point. Um, I'm hoping we can do that by by nine, the anniversary of 9 11 this year, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. Um, I got too many things I'm doing right now, right, Bill? Uh, so. Just, yeah, so it's not never no, ending No, we, we're working on a timeline of what that looks like, and we're going to dispel some myths about uh, Bin, Laden, Bin Laden's final months and some myths about Al-Qaeda and how it operated at the time. Of course, it's evolved since then. Um, but, you know, the simple fact of the matter is um, Al-Qaeda is going to continue fighting and ISIS is going to continue fighting. You have some in America that says America shouldn't fight anymore, okay? Make the arguments and, and and explain why you think that's the case and make that to the American people and say you want to own it. And then when something bad happens, make sure you own it. If another, you know, we heard this, you know, not to repeat ourselves, but we heard this, didn't we, Bill, back in 2011, 2012, you know, a leading uh, counterterrorism analyst, Peter Bergen, who's on CNN, told us in a debate that we had at New America that it was over, right? It was all over, the job was all over. Yeah. There's this temptation to constantly say it's all over, um, we heard over and over again from people that it's all over and of course it wasn't over then and it's not over now and you know America can end its role in the endless wars but the endless jihad is going to continue absolutely alright so we're going to leave it on that note uh, again thank you for listening to this week's episode of Generation Jihad um, please do subscribe to the show as a reminder you can find us on Apple Podcasts Spotify, YouTube or anywhere else you listen to your shows by
1: the way I've never actually used Spotify Have you used Spotify? I use Spotify all the, all the time to listen again. to my music yeah, and I'm terrible with technology oh it's great Tom you gotta use Spotify I'll I don't probably know. crash Not that download no. it yeah, listen it's not an advertisement by Spotify but Spotify if you wanna you know send a little our way we're happy to do it but it is a fantastic op- app you can, I do use it for music I don't use it for um, podcasts but I think I will you recommended one for me uh, yesterday and I'm gonna give that a go yeah. on Spotify alright
0: well we'll see you guys next week thanks for listening